Uh, right now, um, it's my privilege and, and pleasure to uh, introduce our guest speaker for this morning, uh, a young lady who has been to Israel, has lived in the land for um, just over 11 months, I think it was, had a huge and, and profound impact upon her life, and I want her to impart that blessing and that life into us this morning. Let's welcome Joe as Joe comes and preaches the word for us. Okay, so um, welcome to Mission Sunday. I want to share a bit about my story today. I'm trying to give you just a general overview about what Bridges for Peace is, a bit of my story over there. And for those who are wondering, yes, I will touch on the current conflict so please bear with me with that one because I'm sure you've got a lot of questions about that. And if you have any other questions along the way, write them down and come see me at the book table afterwards because I could honestly talk a week. <laughs> but here we go. So Bridges for Peace. I was part of the um, Zealous Project there, lived there for 11 months, as Pastor Gary said. Um, so who are Bridges? Um, going to work no, no, no. All right. who are bridges for peace christians supporting israel and building relationships between christians and jews in israel and all around the world so i've got a little video to show you that one bridges for peace christians supporting israel and building relationships between christians and jews in israel and around the world bridges for peace 50 years of blessing israel and the church through compassion and revelation. Compassion, feeding Israel's hungry, caring for Israel's needy, repairing homes, giving hope to children in poverty, helping the Jewish people return to their ancient homeland. Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. Revelation, bringing the Bible to life in its ancient context, revealing the truth of Israel's prophetic significance, telling the story of Israel's miraculous rebirth, connecting Christians and the Jewish people through a grassroots global team of Christian representatives. For God's instruction shall go forth from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Bridges for Peace, a Matthew 25 ministry dedicated to supporting the nation of Israel and bridging the centuries-old gap between Christians and Jews. Bridges for Peace, your Israel connection. So we have um, a food bank in Jerusalem and one up in the north in Carmel. And we feed 22,000 people every month. Uh, there is a lot of poverty in Israel. A lot of people um, immigrating, making aliyah to Israel, they come with two suitcases each, that's it. And so these people are learning a new language. They need to find a new job. Often their qualifications don't match, so they're finding something else. It takes them a long time to get set up in a different country with a different culture and everything else. So Jerusalem, in Israel, the poverty rate is about, those living below the poverty line is about 30%. In Jerusalem, it can be up to as high as 50. Um, so even though it's quite a new emerging nation, there is a lot of poverty around there. 
and especially with COVID, tourism is Israel's second biggest industry. So they've been really hit hard with um, people just can't come. They have livelihoods, they don't get the money. So bridges have been really, really instrumental during that time. And you'll notice um, 50 years of blessing Israel. If you think the modern nation of Israel has been around for 73 years, Israel has been a part of it for 53 of those years. So we have a very good long-standing relationship with a lot of people around there. You walk on the street and talk about bridges, chances are someone will know who you are. So um, here's our distribution centre up north with a tour going through. When the borders open again, I'm taking you all on a tour. You'll love it. It's amazing over there. We give welcome gifts to the new immigrants. Uh, so kitchen packs, bedding, blankets, some goodies for the kids, Bibles in there. That's the um, Old Testament, so they call it the Tanakh. So in there, either Hebrew, I think Russian or English, that's our main three that we give them. Um, and that's just really something to say, welcome to the country, we support you, and we'll support them for the first year that they're there as well. Uh, we're into the schools. We provide school supplies, hot meals. You can sponsor a kid during that time. And um, we find that it really, really helps kids graduate. Um, year 12, there was a, I think in a lot of schools, 2% graduation rate. When bridges were in there helping, it was almost 100%. Um, Holocaust survivors. I'm racing through them here, but I'm just trying to give you a little snapshot. Again, if you have questions, ask me after. So there are... Around 200,000 Holocaust survivors left in Israel. Interestingly, the second biggest number of Holocaust survivors outside, aside from Israel is actually in Australia. Um, so this is Yosef and Chaya. Um, I had the privilege of meeting Yosef. His story is absolutely amazing. He was 14 when he was in the camps in Auschwitz with his brother. Um, and he testified at the Eichmann trials in Israel some years later. So um, Yosef was in the camps and he and the other forgotten youth of Auschwitz, mostly the people, like the Nazis kept so many good documentation of everything they did. The youth were forgotten. There was this group that no one knew about for many, many years until Yosef said, hey, what about us? And people say, oh, we didn't know the story. So Yosef told a story of one time him and the boys were out on the fields and um, Dr. Mengel, Dr. Death, was there and he was dividing the boys in between the older ones who could work and the younger ones who would be sent to the gas chambers. And so, of course, all the boys were lying about their age because they wanted to live. And eventually he's like, no, I know you're lying. And they hammered a piece of wood onto the disused soccer goals and said, anyone that is shorter than this, you're over there. And Yosef knows he can't reach that. There's no way he's going to get that tall. So he puts rocks in his shoes and his brother rips up his hat 
to cushion the rocks in order to make himself just that little bit taller. And he knows he's still not going to work. He's still not tall enough. But there's also other boys trying to sneak into the other line as well. And eventually Dr. Death gets so frustrated with the whole thing that he calls it off and says, right, everyone back to camp and Joseph is saved. So eventually um, Oswich is liberated and a soldier comes up to Joseph and says, here, have this shirt. Let me dress you like a real person. And Joseph makes his way to Israel finally where he sets up a carpentry business with his brother and um, lives his life happily. Um, Joseph passed away early this month. Excuse me. See, I only met him once, but so just the way with Israel, everyone feels like family. In Israel, when someone passes, we say, may their memory be a blessing. And his is. And he's survived by his three children, 16 grandchildren and four great-grandchildren. He's just the sweetest, lovely man. So what else do we have in Israel? Well, there's lots and lots of different places that are also very different. We've got Yaffa, also known as Joppa. You might have heard of that place um, if you read the story of Jonah. Uh, here is a ancient olive press. So you put the olives on this part here. You push the wheel around, it crushes the olives, and all the oil comes out, and then you put the olive goop into hessian bags, and this part here presses down, and you create the olive oil. So that's probably a couple thousand years old, that thing. Um, there's the Bedouin camps, which are an Arab group of people um, who have their own faith and um, believe in their own Messiah, different things. Very um, interesting experience there. Such hospitable people who will sit you down and give you um, Bedouin tea, Turkish coffee, uh, go for a camel ride. I had a very, very grumpy camel. But it's good fun. Uh, there's the ruins and different things everywhere. So here's the synagogue at Capernaum. So very probably Jesus would have spoken in that synagogue. I just, I love it because everywhere you go, the history has meaning into the Bible. And even if you're not sure of exactly the places, Jesus walked around somewhere here. There's a few that you know for sure that's where he was, but it, it's, the Bible is living and active. It's just, uh, it's, it's there. Um, that's Caesarea up at the top coast. That was where Herod, he would have sat about there and given his verdicts and his rulings. And here is where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. So just 
um, after Jesus' birth, the fall of Jerusalem, all of that sort of thing, uh, there was the uprisings and the people, hid, the scribes hid the scrolls into these caves for safekeeping. Unfortunately, the scribes lost the battles against the Romans and the, their enemies and the scrolls were hidden for almost 2,000 years until they were discovered about 50 years ago. So biblical scrolls that almost match word letter for letter. There's only two differences in between the letters that they had in those scrolls and the ones they've got today. En Gedi, the waterfalls there, that's where King David hid from Saul. And um, actually, let's go back to this one. Where David talks about um, as a deer pants for water, so my soul pants for you. That is actually in the middle of a desert. And so we're traipsing up to the top of this little sort of, it's a bit of a walk up the hill, up the mountainside. But then there's this cool, refreshing stream right at the top. So how I think David, maybe he drank from that water and just, you know, refreshing his soul. He knew in the heat of the desert that God satisfies even more. Um, the Jordan River, we had the chance to be baptised or rebaptized. So that's my team there and we all got prayed for and got baptised under the waters. I especially felt it significant as I was 30 at the time, just like Jesus was. So um, the Sea of Galilee, such a beautiful, beautiful place. Um, just absolutely amazing. There I am on the boat ride. This was a few days into my trip. And um, so if you knew me before I went to Israel, I'm fairly different than what I was now because back then I didn't even like to go to the movies by myself. And here I am going on a whole year-long trip to another country, living all by myself, don't know anyone I'm going with, and I'm trying not to freak out. I know God's called me there, so I know it's going to be okay. But you know how that little voice in the back of your head, you just can't quite get rid of no matter how you, hard you try? So it was probably at day three or four, and I'm trying to get rid of this voice in the back of my head. But it's just not working. Nothing I'm doing, even praying, not working. As soon as I step foot on that boat, those fears go. And they never came back. See, God's peace, oh, it, yeah, it was amazing. The peace there is just so tangible. You can feel it. Because when Jesus was on, and when Jesus calmed the storm and said, peace, be still, he didn't say stop. It's still there. So uh, I don't know if you know the story in World War I, the 800 horse charging uh, Bathsheba. Um, great story to look up. The um, Australian light horse charged through where no one else could and was instrumental in liberating Jerusalem. So we really do have, a, Australia does have, have a connection with Israel. Look that one up if you've got the chance. Uh, the Dead Sea floating on the Dead Sea. It's about 23% salt, I think. It's extremely salty. You cannot sink in it. And Jerusalem herself. 
What a lovely, lovely place. I loved walking down to the Western Wall after work. Um, so this is the, here the retaining, it's sort of like the retaining supporting wall and the temple was built on top. So that's the last remaining part of the ancient temple and um, day and night you see Jews there praying. I just love going after work, popping down to the, temp well, the temple wall to pray. It was just incredible that I got to do that. And there's such a sense of God there too. Here is the menorah that they've built for the third temple. So they've already got it planned, ready to go. This thing is covered in gold. And if you see here, there's a person and there's a couple people. So you get a scale of how actually big it is. That thing is massive. So there's the wall again. Um, you've got the men's section there and the ladies' section here. And another good place to visit is the Shuk, so the open-air market. If you go there on a Friday afternoon just before Shabbat, um, as Althea was talking about, um, Shabbat is a lovely time. Everything closes down. The buses stop. The shops shut. So there's a last mad minute rush to get to the to get all your shopping before Shabbat. It's crazy in there, but it's so much fun. So that's a little bit of a snapshot of all the places around Israel. But you may be thinking, why are we supporting Israel? So in Genesis 12, 1 to 3, it says, Now the Lord had said to Abraham, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. So why Israel? Because God said to bless Israel. And you may think, well, okay, it's good to bless Israel, but what about this cursing thing? I don't curse Israel. What is that about? But if you look at the Hebrew words, they actually use different Hebrew words. So I will bless those who bless you. The same Hebrew word is used, Barak. But I will curse those. I will curse him who curses you. So if you read it in the Amplified Version, it actually brings out the different connotations of this. So the curse that God, cursing that God will be doing is Ara, and the cursing that people have done is Kalal. So let's read the Amplified, which says, I will bless, do good for benefit those who bless you, and I will curse, that is subject to my wrath and judgment, the one who despises, dishonours and has contempt for you. And in you all the families and nations of the earth will be blessed. So if you look at it this way, then you can see that it's not just a, oh, cursing, rah, 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 bad Israel sort of thing. It's a, we've got to be active in the blessing and not just be apathetic towards Israel because that is part of the cursing. And in you, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. So Israel is not just some ancient city 
the connection between modern Israel and ancient Israel is very, very real. Biblical prophecy is being fulfilled today. And I even had a chance to do that. So here we are onto a pruning pomegranate trees and eating some of them straight off the bush. Oh, the flavour was amazing. And here I am. So what prophecy was I fulfilling? Well, in Isaiah 61, verses 4 to 6, written some 3,000 3, years ago, I think, and they will rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and feed your flocks, and the sons of the foreigner shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. So there I was as a vine dresser in Israel fulfilling biblical prophecy. And you guys can be a part of that as well by supporting Israel. So here is my team. I was part of the young adults team. We had an internship program. Um, we've got guys, let me see, I'll run through. So we've got Sam from the US, Rian from South Africa, Leah from Russia, Suguru from Japan, Alina from America, Talia from South Africa, Morgan from America, Stephen from America, Reiki from Japan, and of course, me. So it was a great team. We, we did life together, did everything together. And here is my team that I worked day to day with. So this is the publications team. My official and nice and fancy sounding role was journalist and international content manager. So I was responsible for putting up the news onto our website, editing news, writing news stories, writing for uh, the magazine, editing the teaching letter. All of these different things are out the back, so come and grab a free copy of them afterwards. Um, it was just amazing to be part of that. Journalist, international journalist was my dream job and in Israel, what better place could you be? So one story that was particularly um, interesting and close to my heart was talking about the Iron Dome and the missiles that Israel face. So I got to see the Iron Dome in action. I shared about that last time. I won't go into too much detail this time. But if you haven't heard that story, come and hear it. So the Iron Dome is the defence system. The radars detect a missile coming in and they shoot off their own missiles to destroy the rockets in the air before they hit land. This is Esther. She lives down south under rocket fire um, and she's a social worker down there. So she knows um, the impact it has, especially on the kids. There's a lot of kids with PTSD down there because of the rocket fire. In Jerusalem, we had a minute and a half if the sirens went to get to the bomb shelter. In down south, they had 15 seconds. So as you can see here, um, it's almost like 15 seconds, 30 seconds, 45, goes out, where's Jerusalem, there's Jerusalem. So as you can see, almost all of Israel can be reached by Gaza, but then as well, even though the top isn't green there, they get attacks from up north. Here is um, part of a playground 
You know, the kids can run in and out of this little tunnel thing. That's a bomb shelter. So there's bomb shelters within the playgrounds because you never know when it might happen and you'll need somewhere to run to safety. So bridges are a part of building some of these, making them look pretty. And um, I don't think this one in particular, but there's signs on some of them that say this bomb shelter was provided by Christians around the world who care for Israel. So when I was in Israel, there was over 1,700 rockets that were fired on innocent civilians, which it's just a crazy number. And now I want to get into the current conflict because that number pales in comparison to how many were fired during an 11-day period just a couple of weeks ago. There were over 4,300 rockets fired over 11 days, the most that there's been ever in Israel history. So here is one of the attacks. This here is the rockets from Gaza. This here is the Iron Dome sending out its own rockets, which will shoot all them down, well, most of them. It's about a 90% success rate, um, but when they shoot this many, some just get through because there's too many to go. So you may have seen the news about what was happening in Israel. Did anyone watch the news, see it on Israel? Some people, yeah? Let me tell you, what you saw is 99% probability that it wasn't what happened. Not quite accurate anyway. Um, the bias against Israel is crazy. So I want to show you a couple of videos um, narrated by my um, boss and good friend. Um, and she's on the ground during the conflict. One of these, I think, is about day nine, that day five, day nine. So the statistics during it are a little outdated because it's happening as the conflict goes, but I'll update those stats at the end. And this will give you a bit of a picture of what the real story is. Israel is under attack with the country facing some of the heaviest fire in a decade. As rockets continue to rain down on southern and central Israel, air raid sirens continue to scream and millions of Israelis remain confined to their bomb shelters. In a bid to stem the rainstorm of rockets, restore calm and protect its citizens, Israel launched Operation Guardian of the Walls late on Monday evening. We'd like to give you a glimpse of the operation as it unfolded and the past 48 hours here in Israel. Over the past two days alone, Hamas, the terror organization in charge of the Gaza Strip, and Palestinian Islamic Jihad, the second largest terror group in the Strip, have fired over 1,050 rockets on Israeli cities like Beersheba, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Tel Aviv and Jerusalem targeting civilians and hitting a hospital, a school and family homes. Six Israelis have been killed, including an 80-year-old grandmother who couldn't make it to the shelter on time, and a father and a daughter. 200 Israelis have been injured, many in critical or serious condition, including a five-year-old girl. 
The Iron Dome has proven its metal, intercepting between 85 and 90% of the rockets. But Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad have improved their launching capabilities, firing massive waves at one target simultaneously, flooding the Iron Dome with more targets than it can shoot down. We're talking about 137 rockets fired on Ashkelon in five minutes, or 130 fired on Tel Aviv in one volley. These rockets, supplied and funded by Iran, are also larger and more accurate than ever. The IDF responded by striking more than 500 terror targets in Gaza, aimed at Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad terror chiefs, terrorists, weapons and infrastructure. These have reportedly been the heaviest Israeli strikes in Gaza ever. Israel has also called up 5,000 reserves to assist the permanent forces in the Home Front Command. The situation remains dire, and we wait to see what tonight brings. From Jerusalem, we'll keep you updated as the situation unfolds, and we remind you to pray for the peace and protection of Israel and her people. This is Ilza Strauss reporting for Bridges for Peace, Israel. This next one is a couple days later. Today is day nine of nearly uninterrupted volleys of Hamas rockets raining down on Israeli citizens and of the IDF launching Operation Guardian of the Walls to guard Israelis against these deadly attacks. I'd like to give you a glimpse of the past nine days here in Israel. Over the past week and two days, Hamas, the terror organization in charge of the Gaza Strip, and the Palestinian Islamic Jihad, the second largest terror group in the coastal enclave, have fired nearly 3,750 rockets, mortars and missiles on Israeli cities, deliberately targeting and striking schools, kindergartens, family homes, cars, public transport and hospitals. Apart from the attacks in the south, Israel's northern border has seen its own share of violence with nine rockets being fired from Lebanon and three from Syria. This marks the highest rate of rocket fire in Israel's history and hundreds of thousands have been confined to bomb shelters. The Iron Dome has proven invaluable, saving hundreds of lives. However, over the last nine days, 13 people in Israel have been killed, including a disabled man, an IDF soldier, an 87-year-old grandmother and a five-year-old boy. But Hamas's rockets don't just maim and murder Israelis. Out of the 3,750 rockets that Hamas has fired, 15% misfired, falling in Gaza and striking densely populated areas, killing Hamas's own people. In other words, out of every seven rockets that Hamas fires, it fires one on its own people. The IDF responded to the attacks by striking more than 1,000 terror targets in the Gaza Strip, including terror cells, rocket launching sites, weapons depots, and some 70 miles of Hamas terror tunnels, a vast underground network of passages, bunkers, and command centers. Yesterday morning, Israel also opened up the two main border crossings into the Gaza Strip, to allow a large convoy of trucks loaded with humanitarian aid supplies into the enclave. 
Hamas, of course, showed its thanks for the care package by firing mortars at the crossing, putting its own people in danger and preventing them from receiving desperately needed aid. The word ceasefire has been tossed around in the media of late, with conflicting reports. Some say that Israel and Hamas will reach a ceasefire as early as tomorrow morning, with others saying that both parties denied the reports. Well, will we see an end to the fighting by tomorrow morning? Only time will tell. This is Ilza Strauss reporting from Jerusalem for Bridges for Peace and reminding you to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. How's that, hey? A little bit different than what you saw in the news, maybe? Confronting. Um, but I think the th that I could tell you so much, get into so many politics and different things of this, but the thing to remember is it's not actually a battle between Israel and the Palestinians. That's not actually what this is about. It's between Israel and Hamas. Um, and Hamas, they use their own people. They try and say they're for the Palestinians, but they use their own people as human shields. They, they don't care about their lives. They just want to make Israel look bad. They just want Israel destroyed. As Ilza said, one in seven of the rockets landed on their own people. Whereas Israel, before they strike back, will warn the people to get out this building, we're about to bomb it. They'll give them an hour's warning, say, and then ring back again, are you out? We're coming in. They could wipe Hamas out easily, but they won't because they value the human life around them too much. And um, if you remember one thing about that, um, when you watch the news again, remember Hamas is an internationally recognised terrorist organisation. How can you even side with that when you know that, right? So 4,360-plus rockets were fired. 90% were intercepted by the Iron Dome. Um, 13 people were killed in Israel. 680 misfired rockets. Got a few other stats there. It was the biggest, basically it's been the biggest conflict that Israel's seen since it's the modern nation has been, um, at least the most amount of rockets that have come since Israel's been founded as a modern nation. So there was a ceasefire um, day 11, which is great for the peace of everyone, but we, everyone really knows it's just a matter of time before the rockets start again, unfortunately. So keep Israel in your prayers. Keep them in your prayers. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That's Psalm 122. So why is there so much fuss then about Israel? What is the deal if there's so many, so much bias, so much lies in the news, so many conflicts over and over again? What is the deal? Especially when you consider Israel is one-third the size of Tasmania. It's tiny. So here we are, the blue is Israel and the contested parts, which they, the parts that Hamas and the Palestinians will try and say 
Israel was occupying the land is those tiny little red bits. So Gaza is there and that's what they call the West Bank or um, Judea and Samaria. So here is all the Arab land and that is tiny, tiny Israel. So why the fuss over such a tiny bit of land? One third the size of Tasmania. It's crazy, right? When you look at that and when you start to unpack all these different things, you realise that it's not actually about politics. It's not actually about land. It's about God's people. Because God made a promise and a covenant, not just a promise, a covenant to Abraham that the Jewish people would be God's people and that they would never fail to have a home. And so if the devil can wipe out the Jewish people, then he's proven God a liar. And, of course, God isn't a liar, is he? So it's really a spiritual battle. And that's why the prayers are so important. That's why it's so important that the church stands up and is a voice for Israel when so many others are not. There is a phrase and a, what do you call it, sort of a life motto, a way of living in Israel called tikkun olam, which means repairing the world. And it comes from an old Jewish saying that says, if you save one life, it's as if you have saved the whole world. So the Jewish people live by this mantra. Whenever there's a natural disaster, there was a mudslide in Brazil a few years ago. Um, During the war in Syria, they set up a makeshift hospital on the border and treated their enemies over a 1,000 people they treated, they'll go into wherever there's natural disasters, Israel will be one of the first teams on the ground to help because they value life and they value helping people. And they've been such a blessing to the world in other ways as well. Our cell phone technology comes from Israel. Drip irrigation comes from Israel. Cherry tomatoes, Israel. There's so many things. They say, oh, wow, Israel truly has been blessed to be a blessing. And I want to bring up a verse in Romans as well that says, they were pleased to do it and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them in their material blessings. So Romans 10, 11 talks about being grafted in to the Jewish family, grafted into the roots. We owe the Jewish people so much. We wouldn't be here with our faith if it wasn't for them. Jesus was Jewish. Sometimes we forget that with our cute little pictures of Jesus with blonde hair and blue eyes and whatever it is. Jesus was Jewish. And we have such a rich history there. My faith has been so deepened by understanding the cultural significance, the deeper meanings behind different things in the Old Testament, because of my time in Israel. And it's brought the Bible to life. So because I've been given so much, I owe it to them to give back. So that is why Israel. We've been so blessed as well. We've been blessed to be a blessing because we are now part of that family. So when we share that love of God with the Jewish people as well, that also makes them go, oh, Christians like us? They don't hate us. And that 
in itself just shows the love of Jesus as well, more than any preaching or anything else could do, but loving in action and in truth. So I want to end with um, Numbers 6, 24 to 26. Are there any Star Trek fans in the room? You got one? Couple? couple? Okay, do yourselves a favour and look up um, Leonard Nimoy, um, Origins of Live Long and Prosper. Because he was Jewish and the Live Long and Prosper is actually part of a Jewish blessing. <laughs> so it's, it's a fascinating story, but look it up. So when everyone's going Live Long and Prosper, doing Star Trek geeky thing, they're actually blessing people. Which comes from this verse here. The priests, the Levites, would put his ha- their hands out and bless the people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So um, thank you for listening to me. I have a whole heap of resources out the back there. If you want to know more, I've got, let me see, let's go back to that one. There we go. So whole heap of resources, um, the national, international magazine, the teaching letter. You want to know about some of the Jewish culture behind the Bible? Grab a teaching letter. I've got the national Australian magazine magazine out there as well, which I'm the editor of. So take a look at that one. Um, I'm very excited about that. I'm just, it's, it's so amazing that I get to be able to do something like that. So please come out, take a look. If you really want to dive deep, there's a book called God's Roadmap. I've got a few copies of that. Best book you could get. It talks about the history. It talks about the feast. It talks about everything, right? Great starting place, but it also really goes deep and you'll be shocked, you'll be amazed, everything. So come have a look at that. Make sure you get the falafel lunch. Who's hungry? <laughs> Pomegranate sorbet. So thank you for coming. Come answer me some questions. Sign up for the Bridges um, newsletter and mailing list because then you'll get this stuff coming to you regularly. So I think let's pray for lunch and as we go out, afterwards we're going to show the um, Hebrew version of the blessing, the new blessing song and filmed in Israel, places I've walked, places I've been, sung by a guy, Joshua Aaron, who I've met. He's an amazing singer. But let's pray for lunch first. And I'll pray a bit in Hebrew as well for you. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech ha'olam humotzilechem vehokelet ha'aretz. Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread and food from the earth. Amen. All right. Thanks, guys. Love you. Bless you. Watch the video as you go out. Have an amazing week.